Paradise, perfection, white and violet dimension, cream of a magic cow at the top of imagination, risen like a bird out my reach, fleeing fire. What word the world we humans admire? What label land soaring higher and higher? A vision, an idol, an anti-satire? A romance for life, a dream, an aspire. Hey everyone, welcome back to Solo Scene. This week, we are going to be answering some questions we asked ourselves last week, and Aaron's poem leads very nicely into the first one. Yeah, which is to come up with a genre name for something that we discussed at length in last week's episode, which is pieces of art or narrative that are just idyllic and pure and romantic and Mm -hmm. utopian, which you might say is already a genre name for this. Yes. But I think utopia has some, it's kind of ironic given its meaning, but it has some negative connotations. Yeah, for sure. It also has very urban connotations. You think? In my mind, it does. Sure. It's kind of planetary. It's mm-hmm. big. It's political. It's more political than what I'm thinking of. Yeah, for sure. So the ones I mentioned at the end of that poem, um, an anti-satire was one they came up with because I think satires, typically they are, they're kind of well-meaning in that they are almost pointing out flaws in things. So they have almost the same kind of motivation as do these idyllic pieces of narrative and art that we're talking about but they go about it in a completely different way. Like the presentation of what we enjoy is much more earnest and much more beautiful and much less cynical and usually much less comedic than is a satire. So that's why I call it an anti-satire while still kind of valuing that genre's name. Mm -hmm. That was just one that I came up with. Another one was an aspire. I think that's my favorite, even though I know grammatically, maybe it's not the best. On that note, actually, I remember reading back when we were both into the Divergent books, shout out all our young adult peers, young adult reader peers, um, that the author of that book was kind of defending the grammatically uh, varied names for the factions. Mm -hmm. Because you have like abnegation is a noun, but dauntless is an adjective. Yeah. And things like that. So it's like, it doesn't always have to be perfect. It's like Western, comedy, horror, romance, aspire. I don't know. It's like a two-syllable. I think it. I it think gets. it fits in. Like aspiration would be more proper, grammatically proper, but it's too. It's too wordy. It's no, too and aspire has a Shakespearean. Yeah, exactly. Element to it. Spell like, it with a Y. Yeah, why not? <laughs> it seems like when there's like yeah, a minuet or a. Mm. It's kind of one of those like artsy words. Yeah, I like that. There's this like it tells you immediately what it is. You, this is something to which we aspire. This is something that we yes. reach for, even if it's kind of wholly fantastical, like like it's Hogwarts. In a sense, mm-hmm. we aspire to some elements of that world, even though we know we're not going to be flying around on brooms. We aspire to the spirit of adventure and exploration and education that's present all through those books, which is a big part of what makes it so idyllic. Mm-hmm. And the other one that I mentioned was A Romance for Life, which is kind of like a subgenre of romance. Yeah. Romance for Life, because I think that's what a lot of these things often do. They reinvigorate us. They remind us of why we love life and you come out of the cinema or you put down the book a lot happier yeah i really like that one i don't think it has the ring the other ones do of course but it really is a very specific title for this type of media that we don't already have because it's often when you say a romance you think romantic partnership of some type 
But with the romance for life, that's how I come away whenever I watch quite a few movies. Yeah. It's like, oh, it just is uh, inspiring or a nice movie. But there's not a word for it. So that's very distinct. Hmm. But I suppose an aspire is the exact same something I aspire to. Also, just to mention in that poem, I don't know if you caught it, but there were a few like really, really poor grammatically, just like I just started dropping words to try and fit into a, a rhythm and a rhyme scheme. And it reminded me that that meme, uh, why say what words when few do trick, mm-hmm. is actually re- very relevant, I think, poetically a lot of the case, especially when people use deliberately archaic language. So <laughs> like in this poem, I say like, uh, what label land? And it's like, what should we label the land? But it's like, what label land? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Small <laughs> it words. It seems Who like needs a Bonnie Bear song or a, there's no reason I was getting Arcade Fire from some of those word choices, Milky Cow. <laughs> Purple? What was that? <laughs> I oh, the, the white and violet cream of Magic Cow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That just seemed like a random lyric for like Arcade <laughs> Fire would drop in their song. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So my two were more just nice words because idol I like, but it's not, it doesn't roll off the tongue. I-D-Y-L-L. Yeah. So I was looking at the word specifically. I went from a very etymological perspective. I was channeling my inner Tolkien. And so the word comes from the name for Theocritus's idols. Like he was the original person who was making these utopia worlds. So I thought we could just call it a Theo, a Teo. Okay. Yeah, which I thought was kind of cool. Or an Emirate, which is French amour, and then an et. Emirate. It's a word that already exists in French, which just means a romantic vision or romantic yeah i like that scene and i thought it'd be good to just steal it in english i say i like that much more than aspire that i come up with aspire, <laughs> i mean you're never going to get around that awkwardness around it yeah amoret i think that's really cool thank you a m o u r e t t e e t t e even better yeah. <laughs> why not throw in the t- extra t and the e so yeah those are my two really no reason besides yeah it already exists in french and it means something a little bit different, but mm. I thought we could change the definition or add another definition. Well, the nice thing is that it already sounds pretty. And it's always true. good when the word kind of sounds like what it is. Mm-hmm. So I say, yeah, oh, what have you been writing? Not much. I'm working on some amorettes, but mostly... I think that just yeah. it fits. It's like mm-hmm. what you're talking about minuets with songs. Yes. Excellent. Interesting uh, opening segment there. Just but before the we get any, better, any further, I guess we should say, like and subscribe. Yeah. Also, if you want to see us, we are on YouTube, so you can watch the YouTube videos or just play it on YouTube and listen to it in the background. It's inspiring to us to see that people are watching it on YouTube because we do put in a lot of effort to make those videos every week. It flashes back and forth between our faces. You get to see what our hair is doing that day, what we're wearing. Yeah. And yeah, I encourage you to do so. And yeah, subscribe if you haven't on whatever platform, because it helps. So the second question of today was how to grow one's imagination, how to grow our imagination, or I suppose since the name of the podcast is Solar Scene, in a sense, how does the Solar Scene help facilitate the growth of people's imagination of the solar sites? And I thought it'd be a good place to start by defining what exactly is imagination. So yeah, the SpongeBob meme. Oxford says that imagination is the faculty or action of forming new ideas or images or concepts of external objects not present to the senses. 
And I really like that it mentioned the mm. senses because when I was thinking about this question all week, that um, notion was bouncing around in my head, but I hadn't really landed on it exactly. I was beating around the bush a little bit, but that's key to imagination, I think, is that it's all that we experience that isn't sensory, mm-hmm. is imagined. I see. That makes sense. a lot of sense. Yeah. I was trying to phrase in my head, because that's where most of my talking goes on, but I was thinking about how to explain the inspiration for something that I create. And I was like, well, you can reference other pieces of work or other things, but then it just seems like you're stealing the ideas. But it's it's hard to phrase something that's imagined. Yeah, it's funny because there's different ways people go about it. Like That's what I mentioned a few weeks ago when we were talking about musicians. I was like, how come they always reference it? Like, it's a little bit of this, a little bit of this. Mm-hmm. Lyrics from here, sounds from here. But there's also the style of, well, I was walking one morning and like telling the story of exactly mm-hmm. how it came to you and things like this. Um, but even that doesn't get to it because I was thinking about that. I was like, yeah. well, I can talk about like I was sitting here when I like sketched it or whatever. Yeah, it is really tough. So I feel like you need to have a super familiarity with adjectives, like with the language to articulate your ideas and your things that are imagined mm. or be good in a craft to be able to express them like we were watching what was that movie we watched the other day the one where the man is abducted by aliens and he's trying to express this idea of a mountain then he just starts making it out of dirt close encounters of close the encounters kind. yes <laughs> so i was like that's and then all the different people who are abducted or affected by the aliens were all expressing something that was only in their heads in different mediums yeah that's a good point because when i was reading about that movie actually a lot of people consider it an, a metaphor for filmmaking. Mm. Like he's trying to recreate this perfect vision and he seems almost maniacal about it to the point of actually alienating, pun intended, uh, his family along the way and seeming completely crazy. So mm-hmm. it's kind of funny that you make that comparison too. So thank you for the definition because that was helpful. When I was preparing for this question, I just used the wrong word. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I was I made a list of ways to boost and encourage creativity among the solo sites. Right. But I really think they're all trans- transferable. Well, that's what I was... Yeah, they're probably transferable, but I think that they're not exactly synonymous, imagination yeah. and creativity. So it's kind of cool that we cover two different bases here. Mm-hmm. Because the way that I first um, tried to envision it before I got the definition was purely from like a writing perspective, basically, which is like, mm-hmm. this is your imagination, your creativity at work when you are with the pencil, with the paper, and trying to see what's happening mm-hmm. it's like imagination is that's one part of it but there's the creative part of it let's say but there's all these other parts like what we were talking about last week that spawned the question was watching movies reading books and feeling your imagination sparked by it um and in the way that so often we don't these days mm-hmm. or another way i was thinking is just like picturing the future mm-hmm. it's not exactly creative but i would say it is imagination yeah and things like this yeah that's a really great point kind of maybe that can be a question for next week the connectedness between healthy imagination and like mental health and like dealing with the the state of things because that was part of the reason we created this was a coping mechanism for the state of things today so the question could be about healthy escapism yeah into stories Mm -hmm. sure yeah, but also like cultivating it in the collective consciousness. Because right now I feel like our tendency as a collective, as a society, is to 
either just not imagine it, take visions that already exist and just adopt them, be like, oh, I like the solar punk future, I'm just going to do that, but not applying your own experience to it. Or it's, yeah, just being always dreadful of like, oh, it's just mm. going to be a wreck anyway, why but not? Uh, there's a lot of people who don't need escapism at all. Yeah. You know, they wake up um, happy, feel the ground beneath their feet, mm -hmm. smell the earth, get to work on something they enjoy, present through the day. Yeah. Maybe watch a movie at the end of it, but maybe don't. Cool. Right. So it's a topic for next week. Yeah. Yeah. So with regards to growing imagination, I kind of just listed these as bullet points. Some of the things that I find help, some of the things that I um, really thought about might help, and some of the things that could be a little bit more structural. So um, one of them is movement, mm -hmm. because I find always, and a lot of people also do that, when you want to think of something, work through a problem, let's say, which mm -hmm. is really a, an exercise in imagination. Going for a walk helps. I'm not exactly sure why. I think it's something to do with the rhythm of it. Your, your body can kind of go on autopilot to an extent. Mm -hmm. There is something, of course, to fresh air, which helps. And I just think in general, we don't realize often when we are sitting all day that we get very tight in different parts of our body that we don't even realize and that kind of affects our mind and gives us a sluggishness in general. I mean, it's mm -hmm. known that exercise sharpens the mind. Mm -hmm. So I think movement in general, let's call it that. Yeah, I think that's great. And of course, in the solar scene, no cars, bicyclettes, walking, mm -hmm. standing around, leaning, moving a lot. Yeah, I felt inspired the last few weeks to walk a bit more because I tend to bike everywhere. And it's like, obviously, biking is more active than driving. But even that is, you're just kind of biking. But I find when you're walking, it's almost a different experience to biking because you can go on autopilot. I guess that is it. But you're also not feeling the aches that come with sitting. <laughs> because it's like, yeah, you can sit and be on autopilot, but it's almost like you're not doing enough. So your body yeah. has this energy that's like bumping around inside of you that can't be that's blocking your inspiration. Yeah, or it puts you in a sleepy state before you're actually tired. It's yeah. like with children. It's like if you're trying to make them tired, quite often it's best to actually make them still. If yeah. you have them like running around, it's going to wake them up more. Mm -hmm. well, we kind of accidentally make ourselves tired, I think, all the time. And so mm -hmm. our imagination suffers as a consequence. Another thing I thought of is just experience, experiencing mm -hmm. real things because then your imagination has more memories to draw from. Yeah. And also because then more things will provoke those memories. So it's kind of exponential almost. Mm. Along those lines, I was thinking of the importance of having experiences or even just consuming stories that are outside your comfort zone or outside the norm, just like yeah, watching course. a really bad movie once in a while, <laughs> because that might be a completely almost useless experience in itself. Yeah. But it encourages you to then when you are subjected to a new point of view, it almost is like you have practice having an open mind. Mm. Whereas if you don't practice having an open mind, when you have the opportunity to change your perspective, odds are you aren't, you aren't going to change it because most people don't change their perspectives after a certain point. Yeah, it's funny. You're almost never more conscious and aware and sharp, I would say, is when you're watching a bad movie. Mm. Whether it be because you're roasting it or you're picking out all the flaws or something and I think that's why a lot of people say it's so enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Like it's not really enjoyable in the sense mm -hmm. of it, unless you are like making a comedy out of it, but it's yeah. engaging in a way that a lot of 
mediocre movies certainly aren't. And it's mm -hmm. funny that you mention it as if it's like imagination is like a muscle. You need to train it and practice it. I 100% agree with that. And another thing that I thought of, I mean, it doesn't have to be a bad movie. It could just be something wildly different, right? It could just yeah. be like from some country or era or genre that you've never seen before. And this is I'd, like, I wouldn't say it's daunting or it's um, inaccessible, but those can be, it's like, it's not the comfortable choice quite often. Yeah, I remember for sure. like what happened with us is when we watched that weird movie from Quebec. That's the one that I'm thinking of yeah. when I was even writing this and right now. Yeah, yeah. Quebec made it movie. It was like avant-garde and 60s, I think. Quebec New Wave, let's call it. It was very wild. And it was and making a critique of something that we have no experience yeah, with. Yeah, no, no experience with the politics. It, yeah. was, it was very drenched in local politics. Mm -hmm. But we remember it and we're talking about it. And at the time, it, because for the whole time, it's like this puzzle that you're trying to unravel. You are trying to understand it. And this is what I mean in, in the education series. We talked about the benefits of, say, going to a lecture of something that's way above your station. Like you do not understand anything about this high level astronomy that you're hearing them talk about. Mm -hmm. But for that hour and a half or for that hour, you're completely plugged in trying to make any kind of connections. with. Oh, I know that word. Like I've seen this. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's like that with art as well. And something I was talking, thinking about deliberately with imagination was plays and books, but especially plays. The, the media of storytelling, the mediums that require more on our part, more engagement mm. and imagination on our part. And books are good because it's like a solo, in, solo endeavor through just these small words printed on a page and you have to make everything out of them. Like you have to make the entire mm. world in your head out of them. So of course that's good for imagination. But plays I really like because, um, well, because all the ways that they're not movies, I suppose. It's like this whole room, the audience, but also the people on the stage are trying to cast, work together to cast the same spell of mm. belief. Because if you were just looking at it, that set doesn't look anything like a library. And yeah. you know, now they're supposed to be on, in the garden, but it's the exact same bench mm. that he's sitting on or something. So of course, it's not like in a movie where they really can go to different places. In a play, you just have to, all of you have to, imagine it like you're all kind of passing this this dreamlike ambience over it yeah it's like playing for adults because kids do that every single day they yeah, find I mean, a stick yeah. and a string and they're like "Woo, i have a fishing rod or mm. i have a just something completely unrelated it's a ferris wheel and it's just like a stick and you're like wow <laughs> i feel like plays are almost that exercise for adults of like oh we have a box but now it's going to be a bank teller's yeah, office exactly. and then it's going to be your own living room. Yeah, mm. I think that's a fun And it's funny because parallel. I think plays have gone downhill because of those things. It's mm -hmm. like, well, this is just silly. You know, the masks don't look good. Um, he's supposed to be a child, but he's yeah. 50 and stuff. <laughs> it's like, that's the magic of it. That's the whole um, joy of it, I think. And, mm -hmm. and the way that it can benefit you in ways that film certainly can't, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Another kind of exercise that I think is interesting in encouraging imagination is a juxtaposition as i'm calling it because i was researching like what makes a person inspired or in my case creative like what like what distinguishes those people from the average person and it said spontaneity but also controlled thinking and i was like how do you practice both of those and so i came up with a few ideas of something that i could perhaps try and implement because i'm trying to be a more creative person and it's doing like so my first idea was like doing a crossword or doing something that you've set yourself really, really strict and almost just silly limits of like, okay, I'm going to use just one color to paint 
a landscape where I'm going to just use scraps to make this garment or whatever it is, like imposing really, really strict guidelines and then doing it. So it's practicing controlled thinking. But then in juxtaposition, you could do ecstatic dancing if that's something that you're into, or you could do like finger painting, like something really messy, which is also like boundary pushing and uncomfortable because like I don't like making a mess. Hmm. Perhaps doing that and being spontaneous in a controlled environment, like in a practice would encourage you to then have those muscles strengthened during a creative process or during a play. You've like practiced those two extremes and like in close proximity to each other so that you have that that mental complexity that perhaps we don't all have. So what is the juxtaposition? So it's like you're doing a crossword puzzle. Yes. It's very controlled. Okay. There's limits. There's nothing's going to surprise you. Right. But then you would go and it doesn't have to be immediate, but you also practice perhaps in your daily okay, life yeah. static dancing or I see. some kind of movement. It yeah. reminds me of um, artists who wear the same thing every day. Yeah. It's like that, right? The, the routine contrasted with the mind free to go yeah. or encouraged to go rather. Yeah. My two thoughts were like, I feel like truly inspired and creative people have like a really strict routine. They all seem like throughout history that that's the case. Yeah. But it's like, they also aren't the people who in like movies are like the cartoon going to work on the subway, going to the office, going home, eating supper, going to bed. Like it's not like that mm. is the routine. The routine's a bit more eccentric. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, there's a, variety of artists i mean you have like the, the wild people who are like i'm gonna shave my head and then they do that and it's just like with old people really that there are certainly ways that people who maybe aren't automatically genius level creatives can can foster more imagination i suppose mm -hmm. and another one i was thinking of is like with regards to the senses somehow engaging them in more deliberate ways than we do now and especially not just sight because sight, I think, is almost overloaded now mm -hmm. to the point that I almost wish we were going back to falling asleep when the sun sets. Because I think that's a, that's a good time for our sight to be It's about finished. I mean, you can mm -hmm. have candlelight, but you don't want to be doing that all night. Mm -hmm. But I feel like with the artificial lights that we use, not just inside, but just in the city, the way it just kind of hangs around and it's never always dark. Um, because sight so rarely gets a chance to rest, mm -hmm. to just chill out. And similar with your, with your hearing in a city. And I think like smells, quite often we just deliberately don't engage in those because the things around us don't smell nice. It's true. And there's something, there's some connection between senses and imagination that I hadn't exactly fleshed out. What do you think? I think if you are either... I think if you choose to deprive yourself of some kind of a sense, it would encourage imagination to like compensate for that. Yeah. Like I'm really, really bad at visualizing things, but I tried to actively, or like at least in the past, I tried to actively encourage my capacity to see things in my brain. Mm. So that's only done by like closing your eyes and trying to remember what something looked like and doing that again and again and again until you have it in your head. But it could also be done um, always hearing things, but like maybe trying to be in silence, not talking or in just a literal silent place like in the woods and then letting your thoughts be the noise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and my final thought on this was just schools that prioritize the arts. Mm -hmm. Very simple, but that would certainly boost the imagination of the populace. 
Yeah, I think so as well. Or at least, it's not even boost it, but just preserve it. Because children, their imagination is through the roof. Mm -hmm. But it just, at some point, gradually goes down. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I think a lot of that is is not just, oh, that's our exploitative, oppressive education system or anything like that. Like, a lot of that is just, that's the beauty of childhood. And then you Mm -hmm. learn more about the world and you learn that you you aren't the center of the universe for instance mm-hmm. um then your imagination just kind of it naturally goes down and like yeah. you learn more about reality but you don't it doesn't have to go all the way down like i think it does for a lot of people yeah i have a few ideas around that like in, in adulthood or in the current world of how to preserve it or rebuild an imagination and that is basically they're all going to point towards the idea of looking at things in a new way, which is what imagination pretty much is. You're never going to actually get to go to Mars and be like truly inspired in that way. But I think looking at things in a new way is really important. And one way that I thought to do that is documenting your life, be it writing, taking pictures of everything, making many videos or whatever, whatever. But like if you're taking note of your daily life and it looks the same every day, it would inspire you to either make a change or to go deep into the details of that day of like mm. oh today the cat that was normally there isn't there <laughs> like but it it almost like encourages you to be a bit more creative or inspired and another thing that is like very practical is i think learning another language or an instrument or learning something i think it does kind of have to specifically be those two because the point of it in my mind was to make you look at your mother language in a different way yeah because when you learn a different language or an instrument, they're pretty much the same in the way that they affect your mind, I think, is, yeah, it makes you then look at your own language in a new way. Because you've noted that I started using different words because I pretty much had like a set vocabulary. It's true. And it comes from a combo of reading, but also working a lot on learning French. It almost points to how I can speak more complexly in English versus in French. Yeah, people are probably going <laughs> to dismantle that just from examples from this podcast alone. Yeah. No offense, but yeah, I was questioning whether you were using some kind of word of the day toilet paper or something like yeah, that because it could be. you were just dropping like four syllable bombs <laughs> on me all day, and I was like, "Whoa, give me a break here." Yeah, and then the <laughs> other two that are kind of along those lines of making you look at things different is just the obvious of creating, like making something. Yeah, maybe you have no talent, but you're like, if you start and try something, you try knitting, you try baking you're going to at least learn that you're bad and that's not what you want to do, or at Mm. least learn the elements of the creative process that you enjoy. And then you can try and get more into those. And then reading, I just think reading makes us better people all along. (laughs) It's true. Well, what's talent anyway? That's a, that's a whole other discussion, but I think quite often we, we misunderstand that word Mm -hmm. or that concept. Speaking of severely misunderstood, by the way. Oh my. So the organism of the week for today on Solacene, we don't have sponsors. We have organisms who we kind of like to shout out. And these are the guys we like to celebrate on each episode. We sponsor them. In a way. If you think about it. In a way. Um, for this semester, I think I call them the icons of storytelling. Okay. So, certainly an icon right here. What is that, she says. <laughs> she thinks, but yes. Uh, what do you think it's called? The stork snake? Close. That's what it looks like. It's aquatic does look aquatic yeah but it's blue well it, it's a bluish gray this is the closest marker pencil combination okay. that i had at hand <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
the eye also is I took some liberties with the coloring of that. Um, but it is it is rather bright and it is rather huge like that. So this is called the slender snipe eel. Okay. AKA the deep sea duck. It does have a bill or something along those lines. So this it's two jaws. It, it's it is an eel, it's not a duck. But the reason it's called that is because of the the bill like um opening at its mouth. It's two jaws that just they stay open. Oh, okay. So they can't close. So it basically is a deep sea predator that scientists think just kind of goes around with its jaw open and eats as it swims. Odds are something's gonna end up in there. Exactly. Yeah. Um the reason that they have studied this guy is because it has ended up in the bellies of a lot of other fish for the most part. I see. Like they've catch they've captured some, but most of the ones that they find are just from inside like tuna that dive deep for prey and stuff like this. Okay. So the claim to fame of the slender snipe eel, or should I say the Latin? I'm not even going to say it, is that it has the most vertebrae. It looks like it has about a thousand vertebrae. 750. Okay, it's a lot. So just the most vertebrae of any... One long, long back. Any animal, very long back. <laughs> um, do you want to guess how much it weighs? It looks like it weighs like 300 grams. Yeah. Yeah, Basically, it's, it's really, really light. It weighs just like a few ounces or a couple uh, hundred grams, but it can go up to five foot long. That's your drawing is very accurate. Thank you. Based on this, thank you. Mm-hmm. It it looks like something that would absolutely terrify me. Oh, absolutely! Especially if it's five feet long. Yeah, it it's like um, it's like a bike tube or something like an inner yeah. tube. That's like the put that down. <laughs> um, actually, I don't want to look at it. Because the reason I wanted to talk about this one is because I think that for next week, we should have some question about spooky things, spooky things in storytelling, because we haven't really touched on horror at all. Mm-hmm. Last week, obviously, and this week, we're talking quite a bit about um, romance or amorettes and future things, solar punk. So I think we can go into the darker side of stories mm-hmm. next week. Um, but I don't know if there's any question for that. Maybe why do we find what we find scary, mm-hmm. particularly in stories? And perhaps will that change in the soul scene or will it likely be the same? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this guy, the good thing about it is that it's found in all the oceans. Oh, so we're still talking about it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so he's found in all the oceans. No escaping him if you're now afraid of <laughs> duck-billed eel. Uh, yeah, the deep sea duck or the slender snipe eel. Actually, we're not. That's that's all I had about it. Okay, cool. Creepy it would just be though, funny right? if we keep going and you're just... <laughs> I just had a half an hour effect. Yeah, it is. It's a little spooky. It's I a good... couldn't find much. I don't think they, they have much on this guy. No, eats, deep sea things are... It eats crustaceans. Okay. The shrimp. Yeah. Shrimp of the world. Okay. I think that's fun. <laughs> it's interesting because I've never seen something like that. So the next question is very geared towards Aaron. What do you mean? Because you are the author of yeah. this duo. Sure. And the question was... Write a prompt or a short outline for a solar punk story <laughs> that could be created. What's so funny? I just have such a fun idea. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to go first or should I go first? You can and go save first. You can go conclusion? first. All right. Mine was very simple because I'm not the most imaginative sure. until after this episode. But my solar punk story was inspired by a gentleman that I know and actually live with named Aaron. And so... Oh, I really didn't know who you were talking about that. I was like, who did you live with? <laughs> no, that would be... It's inspired by you and your resistance to going to the garden. Okay. Okay? So this is a very... Um, it's going to hit close to home. Sure. But basically, I was thinking, in the solar punk future, 
whatever you think about it is in my head I picture a lot of cooperation and socializing to be necessary to this future but I was like I should write a story or a movie that speaks to those who are perhaps intimidated by this socialization <laughs> and not socialization in that way socialization is in like socialismization because I feel like solar punk is a bit socialist and that it's like you have to share and stuff okay but this story is going to address the fact that it doesn't have to be like that this is very convoluted the story is going to be about a person who is apprehensive or perhaps they've been forced their whole life because it's like a future what's his name his name is it Taryn? he doesn't have a name <laughs> um just this person sure and Perhaps they grew up in a solar punk community and they always hated like being forced to share meals with people and whatever. So they move away to a different solar punk neighborhood and just choose to like haul away and like not socialize. But then that community, it's a different community, basically teaches him or her, whoever, to <laughs> to that they actually don't have to be going to all the community meals or working only in groups. They try and find them something that they can contribute to the community that they that is their strength and that likely isn't in a social situation. And also just finding it's kind of a coming of age story set in a solar punk future about fitting into a group by also not having to be a part of the group. Because I feel like part of it, even to me, it's like scary to imagine a future that it's like you have to have all like one meal a week with the whole community. Like that's not, that's like kind of dystopian and like spooky yeah. and weird. But I feel like a lot of the solar punk media tends towards that because a right. lot of people that is idyllic. It's like well, as we talked about, like the economics of solar punk is almost like anarcho-communism or something weird like that, like, yeah, or something should I say extreme like that, mm -hmm. um, which isn't the most doesn't have the most wide appeal, I'd say. Yeah, but it's like for some people in the movement, like the current solar punk movement, that's is ideal to them. It's like, mm. yeah, they love anarchism, they love socialism and communism, but it's like this movie that I am creating is an alternative social and economic system. So perhaps the main character moves from a truly like a solar commune. punk commune to a place where he thinks it's all going to be the same, but then it actually isn't. Nice. It reminds me a little bit of that episode where Squidward moves to his place so that everything's all good. Yeah. But it's like the opposite. He moves there thinking it's all bad, but actually slowly starts to realize it's all good. Yeah. So what you're saying is he's like, no, I don't want to work on the farm because they're going to make me talk to them all and that's going to be my life now and I'll never get some alone time. But they mm -hmm. say, whoa, no, no. But if you want to help, you can go on the mountain by yourself and pick some flowers. Yeah. But day. you're also welcome back on the farm if you do feel like socializing. And it's like... But you don't. You also don't have to yeah. do either of those things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's just a lot of options and like collaboration. The movie about collaboration to find what works best for everyone because in the solo scene I think that's what it will be there's not going to be a prescribed this is the way a solo scene city or town yeah. looks because that just wouldn't never work hmm. if there's a group of people or like one person right now in each country in the world who really prefers to eat dinner at midnight they could all kind of come together and yeah. have their own community there's or just eat it by themselves and mountain. not be judged for it. <laughs> if you want to eat your dinner at midnight, go for it. If you want to eat at four o'clock like me, go for it. No yeah. one's going to join I you. I see but you casually looking towards the clock during, <laughs> during this episode because you're hungry. Maybe we should out your post-recording behavior to the listeners. Every time we finish, you say, I'm famished.
I usually am hungry. I burn yeah. a lot of calories while talking. It's true. It's true. So I guess I'll close out the episode then if that's done with your Please story. Please do. Oh, did yeah. you have a name for it? No. What about, I see you have introvert written on your paper. Yeah. What about some kind of solovert? Some kind of like kind of involving okay. that. Intro punk. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, mine is called Solo Frunk. Okay. And this is what, the movie that I talked about a little bit in our 10 blockbuster movies for the solo scene. And also, I don't want to claim like original credit for the name because when I typed it in briefly online just to see if there was already a movie named after it, couldn't find a film. There might have been, but there were many musicians, uh, YouTube videos, YouTube channels, blogs, things like this. So it's not an original name, but also I was thinking for this story, I wasn't trying to find something niche or particularly original within the solo scene, within the solo punk aesthetic. It was more about presenting the core of that in a narrative mm. to the people. So in a way, it's kind of good that it's an already used pun. But at the time, I thought it was very clever because it's a musical. And this is a movie musical called Solo Funk about a young man, 23 years old. Reminds me of another gentleman. That I know. <laughs> um, but he's very different to me. His name is Radish. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was laughing at earlier because I think it's so funny. Um, particularly the fact that in this solar punk future, in the world depicted in my movie, solar punk, there is like this really cool futuristic Back to the Future 2 style, like almost a clockwork orange, but not so twisted or perverse, like slang and fashion. Okay. Imagine like everyone's wearing really pointy shades and things like this. Mm -hmm. And they say words like rad, but mix it in with a bunch of like solar punk language. Radish, because he's kind of nerdy, but also kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Rad-ish. <laughs> Clever, right? You just Great. realize it. It's, it's genius, I might say. Anyone listening, if you want to make this movie, you have my blessing, because I would really like to see it. Um, so Radish, he runs, he hosts a local radio show. Cool. It's a little bit underground. He does it from his little bunker studio, which is called The Sundial, because the city has a lot of verticality and foliage, this is kind of near the bottom, but it has like a glass roof. So the sun's coming in and it's like through the shadows, you know, you can tell like the time. So mm -hmm. The sundial. Also, it's another pun because like you dial into a radio or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, radio. That concept alone, I think, is very solar scene, solar mm -hmm. punk, because it's, it has a DIY feel to it. And mm -hmm. it's community, it's local, everyone's tuning into it, but just within this radius. Mm -hmm. And just within this radish, just um, the, the, the plot of the movie is that radish is rather aimless. He's kind of drifting. Okay. He finished the school and he's doing this radio thing, but it's not really growing. And he's feeling a little bit of distance between himself and the community around him. But what kind of livens him up is he meets a girl, a musician. Um, her stage name is Garden Girl. Her real name is Cassia which okay. is another flower-inspired name. And she introduces him kind of uh, to, to her community, which is mostly his community, but like through her friends and her family and her like musician network and things like this. And because he's a radio guy, they are like, oh, cool, we're getting a radio. And like he finds his niche through her. At the same time, there's a group of witches. And they are like the, what? It doesn't have to be witches and everything. I like witches. I think they're terrifying. Okay, we'll so we'll talk about it next time. week, I'm sure. Yeah. But the witches, they are like the old guard. They have survived for 
hundreds of years. They remember when things were like this today, not so a punk, not so a scene. And so they want to bring back this time of darkness. Uh, the conservative coven, witches. Conservative witches. Witches, okay. witches. Their coven is called the Carbon Coven. Because okay. they really like fossil fuels and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And the movie is them trying to sign Garden Girl and Radish um, to a deal because they're trying to sell them like, the whole world can listen to music, the whole world will be listening to your radio, wouldn't that be so great? Mm -hmm. And they promise them fame, they promise them exposure, they promise them fortune. And the resolution at the end of the movie, as you can probably imagine, is Radish, who at the start wanted nothing more than for his radio show to grow to, let's say, worldwide heights, rejects them and says, no, because what's that all for? I like happiness. I'm happy now because I have Garden Girl. She has me. We have our community. And so a funk. Uh, that's the name of the radio show that he runs. Cool. So throughout the film, this is, there's a lot. Just keep going. <laughs> you just pulled out like diagrams. Okay. Pull out the, the screenplay. Yeah. Um, throughout the film, there are these musical numbers, but they're not like imagined. They just, they do it. Like they mm -hmm. just sing. Maybe at the start, they're singing along to the radio shows. Obviously, mm -hmm. she's going to have her performances. He probably has some music that he does. But I thought that would be kind of the, the fun of it. Because right? otherwise, it's, it's almost mm -hmm. a rather heavy film. You've got witches, you've got this, this, you've got that. There's also a subplot, which is not silent because there's music, but it's nonverbal, involving all the cats of the city. Because I feel like okay. cats are very solar punk in a way. Yeah. You always see them lounging around, who they sneak away at night to make their own music, basically. It's like okay. a cat band. And I thought of this because witches, they have cats, they have their familiars. So it's like the cats are fighting this proxy battle on the streets of the mm. solar punk city. Trying to choose the jellical cat of the solar city. Yeah, the, the jellical cats or like in The Cat Returns, the Ghibli movie. <laughs> yeah. Right? There's the scenes where they're like marching around at night and we always love those scenes. Mm -hmm. So I think it would be like that. Yeah, this is a very... I really like the idea. But it's just kind of funny to see knowing you. The inspiration perhaps for it is very comedic. Because... That's the thing. That's that's the issue now. Anytime I try and write a story, you can just see straight through it. Yeah. You're like, oh, that came from this. This came mm -hmm. from that. This came from that. You know what Picasso says? What does Picasso say? Great artists steal. Okay. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing, stealing. Uh, the Carbon Coven. So they use their spells basically to cast illusions over like ugliness, pavements, visions of the old world cars let's say things like this mm -hmm. oil drilling and they make people think it's so beautiful mm -hmm. and they also have voodoo dolls because i think those are kind of creepy skyscrapers like they're big fans of skyscrapers they want to get rid of all the foliage in the city that's one of the things mm -hmm. uh costumes very like there's a there's a real sartorial forefront in the movie like that's that's the key i can see them on the poster mm -hmm. like fabric just garments kind of draping off them, natural dyes things like this it's a very pleasant to look at movie i would say also, a lot of it is set on a campus cool. where I was thinking it would be fun to depict a solar punk campus. What do you think? Because that's where Garden Girl, a.k.a. Cassia, that's where she studies. Mm -hmm. What do you think she studies while she does her music on the, on the side? I think, trying to think of some kind of solar punk subject. Field? Yeah, subject? Fields. Yeah. I think she could perhaps study some kind of animals. I feel like she would be studying, mm. because there's the cast, perhaps she's studying solar punk version of veterinarian because i feel like i was telling you this the other day i think in the solo scene people will 
have almost, it's like you don't have to be just a vet. I think they'll still be obviously expert doctors and expert everything. But it's like I think the average person will like have a passing knowledge of the human body of animals in order to not be so reliant on like the system for everything. Yeah. And it's like I definitely am pro-medicine, but right now all over the world, everything is so, it's like if you have to go to the doctor every time you have a headache, I don't think that's ideal. Like, there Mm. should be a bit more herbal medicine or just, like, understanding of, oh, odds are that's happening because of this. And so So I picture her. Cut out the causes yourself. Yeah, and then know, okay, I probably should go to the doctor. So maybe she's studying some kind of animal version of, like, animal health. But maybe she's not going to be a vet because she has the music. It's just animal Well, that's, like, her dilemma to the movie. Yeah. Should I persist with this? Because now the witches are offering me quite a lucrative career as garden girl. I see. The final note on the movie, Radish's little brother. I think his name is Memo. Okay. Just because I was going to call him Short Circuit, but then I Googled that and I realized that was a, a like a child-friendly robot in a beloved uh, 80s kind of sci-fi family movie. Okay. Go figure. Um, so Memo is like obsessed with wiring solar panels and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that's a very solar punk thing as well. Like yeah. he's, he's always wearing like... What are they called? Like aviator goggles? As okay. he works in his room or like wiring stuff. Yeah, there has to be one of those characters. And like the power it. goes out and everyone's like, memo. Like that. <laughs> okay, I like it. But the whole thing, I, I was trying to just depict and embody the, the grassroots feel, whether it be technology, whether it be art, whether it be community that is inherent, I think, to solo punk. Mm-hmm. That's the punk aspect of it. Yeah. It's, it's bottom up. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. I like that. I think just before we finish, one difference that major difference that I see between solar punk and solar scene is solar punk has that punk kind of post-apocalyptic connotation a lot of the There's time. There's a rebellious feel. Yeah. Doesn't eat the rich feel to it. Yeah, um, but I feel like the solar scene is slightly, it's ideally not going to be post-apocalypse. Yeah. It'll be just like post. Right now. Mm. Um, that's my hope, at least. <laughs> like, ASAP, the solo scene will happen. But with solar punk, I feel like it's often, yeah, just like, those, you'll see like a gear in the field. Or like just yeah, some... there's also differences with regards to just the technology in general, but yeah. for sure. Yeah, um, that was just one thing I wanted to point out. And finally, if you want to buy our zines, we have zines. They're linked below. <laughs> or join our field notes. You can sign up in the Google form below. Thank you all for listening.